What are some of those early warning signs that you can pass on as advice to other people that are working with contractors like a GC or a builder that are the early indications there might be a problem bubbling under? If they're asking for too much money up front, we never mind. I mean, we ask for a deposit with our construction company, and that is just, you know, to get things like permits going and, and secure some materials and so forth. And we understand that. If it's a reasonable amount relative to the total price, you know, we're okay to do that. But if someone is asking for 50% of the contract, no. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Hello, hello, hello. The Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here. That guy over there is Rory Gill, the attorney and broker from Next Home Titletown Real Estate. Urban Village Legal in Boston. Rory, we have another excellent investor to talk to today. We're going to talk about some markets that we don't know about, like in the Caribbean. And we're going to talk about passive investing and working with partners and some of the problems that she's uncovered along the way in her investment journey. And I'm really eager to learn uh, about all of those topics today. Yeah. And what I like about today's guest is we have a variety of different ways to approach real estate and investing. You know, a story I think that has a beginning, middle, and a mature phase. So um, with that, Jason, could you introduce today's guest? Yes. This is Beth Underhill with Lifestyle Equities Group. And Beth is in Cincinnati, Ohio. Is that right? That is correct. Lovely city of Cincinnati. How are things in Ohio? Things are actually wonderful in Ohio. It's um, 80 degrees here today. We have some sunshine, low humidity, which we like. Uh, mm -hmm. So yes, beautiful. Well, we, we here in the Northeast tend to get your weather about a day later. So the fact that it's 80 there today means it'll be 80 here tomorrow. I just went upstairs and it's a, a beautiful day here today. We're recording this at the beginning part of the summer, and this is going to come out toward the end of the summer where we're hopefully it'll still be 80 degrees. <laughs> So Beth, we were just talking before we hit record and you know, I didn't realize this until I did some homework today that you are uh, partners with one of our past guests on the podcast, uh, Angie Key. She was a great guest with Ohana Investment Partners and you, you and she and some other folks have a great Facebook community, which I'd love to learn more about and you know, kind of how all that came together. Absolutely. So through uh, networking um, with, of course, the wonderful world of Facebook. Uh, Angie and I connected um, about, oh gosh, it's been almost two years now. So we, we connected, uh, started talking, kept in touch with one another. Both were kind of going back and forth. Where are you going to focus with your investing journey? Are you going to capital raise, you know, focus more on acquisitions and so forth? And we both decided that we had some synergies and then along came a third individual. Uh, her name is Maria. She actually mm -hmm. lives in Florida where Angie does and uh, they connected. Um, and, and then we, we kind of all put it together like, hey, you know, we think that we could make a, you know, make an impact on women particularly. Mm -hmm. And so the three of us set out to form a Facebook group called Intelligent Investing for Independent Women. We do weekly lives when we can. It's not as consistent, but uh, we try and go live weekly. Sometimes it's the three of us. Sometimes it's just one of us hosting another guest. And we also host webinars where we educate on the benefits of investing in real estate syndications as a passive investor. Mm -hmm. 
We've spoken with a number of women on this podcast who have built vibrant investing communities with other women. Can you talk about some of the value of learning from one another, you know, when you're doing it from your peers? Uh, is there an advantage? Is there information that maybe is shared a little more readily if it is a group of women that are having these discussions together? You know, wh what are some of those benefits, especially for some of the women who are listening to this podcast? What are some of the benefits in getting them invested in some communities of women who are into real estate investing? Sure. Um, you know, I know for me, investing, especially into asset types like multifamily, student housing, in the Caribbean, for, exa for example, I never thought I could do that. And in addition to, I didn't think I could do that as a female. Mm -hmm. So I think the, there's sort of a, a safety or a comfort when you are in community with other women. And when you see other women who are having success, it pushes you to want that same level of success. Uh, we focus heavily on uplifting women in the group. We want to be cheerleaders. Uh, we're not there to, um, you know, just to uh, kind of be envious of what anybody else is doing. It's 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 really empowering, and I, I think again, you know, in this in a space that has been largely dominated by men, it's nice to know that there are pockets or there are places that women can go to for information. Um, if they're just starting out, um, maybe they feel more comfortable with other women asking questions versus in spaces where it's a combination of male and female. So I don't know. For me, I know it's been beneficial. It's been educational. I've been able to provide education. I've also extracted education. Uh, and I, I just think we're providing, again, a safe zone where um, newbies especially can launch. So not just newbies, but you know, experienced investors, if you're looking for new capital partners or looking for new deals, looking for new ideas, investment categories, you know, I'm sure that sharing ideas with women across the country has probably accelerated a number of you in the group to to new levels of success. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm investing in things I never thought I would invest in. So yeah. all of that's happening. What, what's your background? Like, how did you get involved with real estate investing in the first place? So my background, I've been, um, I would say a serial small business owner. Uh, my husband and I, um, a year after I met my husband, we started our first business of which we still own today. We own an outdoor construction company. We build outdoor living spaces here in Cincinnati, which mm -hmm. in Cincinnati is a very, um, it's a hot product. Uh, it allows um, homeowners to actually utilize their, um, an extension of their home almost year round. So we've been doing that since 1999. However, through that process, we loved to host parties. And as a result, I would do all the cooking. And that came from my Italian background of, of helping my mom in the kitchen all the time. And so uh, I ended up opening up a catering business. Um, when I had my daughter, I closed that down because I knew that catering would um, entail a lot of weekends and evenings and I wanted to be a more present parent. So I started an online business for women's golf apparel and accessories ran into a little bit of a legal issue and had to sue a, um, a competitor and uh, won a small, a small sum. And I decided, you know what, I think the universe is trying to tell me that I shouldn't be in this space anymore. So then I opened up a fitness studio. And after I was diagnosed with cancer, um, I opted to close it down. Um, but I had this itch and I was like, okay, I want to do something. And so my husband and I, he 
started watching um, an infomercial at two o'clock in the morning and it was about flipping houses and he's mm-hmm. like we need to we need to attend this workshop and, and find out more about this let's take our expertise of what we know on the outside and let's let's you know start doing it on the inside and that led to us attending um, a, a one-day workshop that led to a three-day weekend uh, event uh, then a five-day bus tour and next thing you know we were flipping houses and that's how we got into real estate that's the first time that I've heard somebody um, talk about 2 a.m. infomercials as a gateway into real estate investing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when this was happening and you got into flipping, about what year was this? I'm asking just to kind of get a sense as to what the market was like. Sure. It was the end of 2018. Okay. Okay. Oh, not long ago. Yeah, yeah I know. Y- you know, my parents are the risk averse folks and they are still convinced that like whenever I go to a real estate meetup or seminar that they're going to sell me, you know, a big briefcase full of cassette tapes and, you know, lots of, uh, lots of lies and promises, which it's not bad at all. I mean, I'm sure there's some of them out there, but uh, you know, I, I'm in a real estate mastermind. We go to a lot of meetups. Like we've done deals with people that we've met, like we're huge proponents of networking and being able to kind of accelerate into a new level. It's just interesting that like your husband saw it on TV and was like, honey, we got to do this. And then next thing you know, you know, you're kind of all in on real estate investing, um, for the better. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was at first, I'm like, do we really need to do this? Are you sure? Um, and he's like, let's just go have an open mind. I'm like, absolutely. So we did. And, you know, we, we don't regret doing it because it's, it's led us to where we are at today with our investment journey. However, um, it was a roller coaster ride and, and we, we definitely had our share of challenges um, to get to this point. But that's that's just with anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, every business, and I look at this as a business, every business has, you know, it, it's good days, it's bad days, and you just have to learn how to get through them and, and problem solve. That's really yeah. what it boils down to is problem solving. Um, how <laughs> bought in is your, is your husband still in the real estate world? Is he still involved with everything you're doing? So he is actually for some of um, our investment opportunities. Um, he is the one that we send to go check out properties. So um, yeah, unfortunately for him, he had to fly down to Antigua not too long ago to look at a potential <laughs> investment opportunity. I mean, you know, poor guy. You know, there for five days and you know, right. with the sun in the sand and and just enjoying life. But uh, but yeah, that's his role actually. He checks out the opportunities from a construction perspective and then reports back and and then we we take it from there. Yeah, that is Before quite we... a role. Rory, talk about your. We were in Antigua and and Rory had to do. <laughs> He had to work a little bit. We were like on a kayak somewhere. Well, I, I mean, it was just kind of a taste of a life that I don't think was really mine. But, you know, we're in Antigua in a beautiful, beautiful spot far away. And I pick up my cell phone to process a couple of wires related to my business. And I felt like I was just in the upper 1% um, of the world. It's not the day to day, but that's how I did it. And it was really more a testament to my inability to farm out work and let other people do it that I was still doing work myself from down there. Um but that was my experience in Antigua. And I just, I do remember that, you know, and before we come back to that image of being able to fly to Antigua, um, scope up um, potential investments, um, I want to, you know, go back to the beginning where maybe it felt a little less glamorous um, and a little less put together. Um, can you tell us about your, your, your first forays into real estate investing? Absolutely. So my husband and I, sometimes we don't always listen to what we should be doing. So we attended this five-day bus tour and uh, walked away with, you know, what not to do. Um, 
And I think we just kind of tossed that out the window. Um, shame on us. Uh, it would have saved us some, some headaches, some monies, some heartache, actually. But our, our first uh, venture into it, we, we actually had two properties under contract within three months. Um, both of them were fix and flips in great areas of Cincinnati, older homes that just needed some, some TLC. Um, and well, not just a little TLC, but actually a lot of TLC. I mean, they hadn't been touched since probably the 60s and 70s. So we went into both of them with an investor that we had met actually on our bus tour. Um, and we had hired this uh, contractor. Um, the contractor was someone that my husband and I had previously worked with, with our outdoor construction uh, company. And we thought he was reliable. Unfortunately, this particular contractor was in a bit of hot water with some other projects he had going on. Um, and just like some of those horror stories that you hear, he was asking for money and utilizing that money to, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, using it for some of the other projects that he was behind on. Um, and he kept promising, like, I'm, I'm going to get to your projects. I'm going to get to your projects. And we would continuously have meeting after meeting after meeting on site at both of the fix and flip projects uh, with empty promises. So we entered into um, the first one in January of 2019. That's when we finally uh, officially signed the contract. It was 2018 that we had uh, um, uh, first um, saw the property. And then the other one was in March. Of, of that same year. So within two months, we had these two properties. By the time November rolled around, neither property was, I mean, wasn't even close to 50% complete. Um, we fired the contractor. Um, the contractor became very upset. He began threatening us with uh, text messages, voicemails, um, pictures that he would send via text message. Uh, and finally, one day, he sent this picture of a rifle scope to my husband and said, look what I got for Christmas. And it was at that point that we decided, you know what, we think we need to um, enlist the help of our lawyer and um, we need a restraining order. Um, we were scared. We weren't sure it, you know, how serious this gentleman was. So we ended up um, filing a restraining order against him. And once we filed that, of course, then he filed a lien on both of the properties, indicating that he was still owed money, that he had completed the projects. Um, and the one thing about liens, uh, which, you know, depending on whose side that you're on, as a, as a contractor for us, um, yes, it works in our favor. But at, if you're on the opposite side, which we were at that particular point in time, you know, the liens really work more for the contractor. So we were in a position that once we finished these, you know, he wasn't about to, to take these liens off. And we were either going to have to pay him some money to just remove these liens um, or in order to get the liens off. Or um, we, we ended up having to um, get a bond. Um, so that we could sell the properties and then continue to, to settle with um, this particular contractor. So it was, it was quite the journey. Uh, one house finished um, and sold about a year after we had um, entered into a contract with it. The other one, it took uh, a little bit longer, uh, a few extra months. Um, both of them, uh, one sold immediately. We had it under contract first day it went on. The other one took a little bit longer. So needless to say, from an investment perspective, although we 
produced and you know two absolutely beautiful renovations um we lost money um we had the headache of of going through um the the restraining order um the lien losing money with all of that um and and really after that the um investor that the three of us uh, the investor that had had joined in on the deal we all just decided you know what we're parting ways and um Good luck, and that was that. But we continue to to push forward and do more flips. But eventually, we we really just got to the point where we decided, you know what, this is just another layer of what we're already doing. We build these outdoor living spaces. We have that process down. Um, either we're not very good at this, or we're, or we're just finding the wrong people to help us with it. And that's when we pivoted into multifamily student housing and hotels. Mm-hmm. Really sorry that that's what happened to you in your first year doing it, even where we sit, um, you know, as an attorney, that's not necessarily the, um, the problem that I'm screening for, um, with a contractor or anything like that. Um, you know, there are all these things that you can imagine going wrong. That really isn't one of them, um, that, that would occur to me. So I don't know, um, you know, you pivoted your strategy a little bit, but is there anything that you did differently after that experience, particularly when you're working with contractors? Oh, absolutely. We um, had ironclad agreements, number one. Number two, uh, we made sure that we were using people from Angie's List, reputable, um, you know, people that had, and, and, you know, here it is, this is somebody that we had previously worked with, right? So we thought, okay, you know, he, he did a good job for our outdoor living construction company. Why would that not be the case with um, our, our renovations? But we, we were definitely more stringent in our screening process. Um, we were on these contractors. Um, they were going to get draws. They had to abide by our contract in terms of timelines and so forth. So we, we learned our lesson. Um, and, and honestly, the, the properties that followed after that, we had so much more success. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, newbies, um, we never should have taken on two properties at one time. Um, mm-hmm. That was something that we totally just let, um, you know, just did not listen to as far as, you know, one of those, those rules, you know, when you're first starting off, just start with one. Make sure you get through it okay you know figure out what your mistakes were you know where what you did right what you did wrong and then adjust and go forth but with two under contract and and trying to manage and handle both of them it was even a lot for us um having to deal with after the contractor actually uh after we fired him so um beth what are some of those early warning signs that you can pass on as advice to other people that are working with contractors like a gc or a builder that are the early indications there might be a problem bubbling under? If they're asking for too much money up front, we never mind. I mean, we ask for a deposit with our construction company, and that is just, you know, to get things like permits going and and secure some materials and so forth. We understand that. If it's a reasonable amount um, relative to the total price, you know, we're okay to do that. But if someone is asking for 50% of the contract, no you know, maybe a quarter of it, something like that, 10%. Um, that's number one. Number two, if, you know, it, it's sort of like that three strikes you're out. If you say you're going to be there on Tuesday and you don't show up and and you come back with, you know, something like, oh, you know, um, XYZ client wanted us to do this for them today. We'll be there on Thursday. If they don't show up Thursday, then I would start to worry. And if they give you another excuse after that, I give them one more chance and then gone. Um, but even at that stage, you have to be careful how much, you know, you've given over to them. Um, I would definitely look on Angie's list. 
uh, places like that for reputable contractors. Talk to other people, get references, um, see if they've done other projects, ask to go see those particular projects so you know quality of work. Uh, that is something that can really, especially with renovations, and we were doing what I would consider higher end renovations. So we would maybe buy a house for 300,000, put 265,000 into it. And that might include um, one house in particular that, uh, well, two houses that, that happened with. One was uh, we added a thousand square foot addition and the other one, we it was a ranch house and we popped the top and built a second uh, story onto it. Um, so, you know, if you are doing renovations of that size, you want to make sure that, you know, when you're selling $800,000 homes, that, um, the quality is there. Otherwise you're not going to get that ARV and, uh, needless to say, your profit margin isn't going to be what you thought it was going to be. Uh, Rory and I just built a beautiful lake home that we're using as a short-term rental. Uh, it's our fifth property. And uh, we used a builder uh, that we found on Facebook of all places. And maybe we just lucked out. We had an excellent experience. I thought we were great clients also, but there was a degree of trust that we had uh, during the entire process. And, you know, just to, um, just to kind of touch on what you mentioned about asking for money up front, like, he didn't, you know, we actually, we had a construction loan. We funded that, uh, the bank funded the rest. There were construction draws, six or seven draws throughout the course of the year. Um, the very first draw, I got him the check the next day because the bank was fast on that. And I think he appreciated that. And I think that probably set the tone for the rest of the relationship throughout, but, uh, wow, we, you know, we didn't have that experience at all. And it's not to say that, um, more builders are like the experience we had, or they're like the experience that you had. I think that there, there's a whole range of contractors in all different trades. And you just, you can vet somebody. I mean, you said you worked with this person before and it just didn't work out. Right. And I never worked with this other person before and it worked out great. And I, I, I got to shout him out, Rick Morgan with threshold construction or threshold building. I forget the name of the company, but like, I got to put his number or email address or something in these show notes that he just did a fabulous job. I won't put your builder, Scott, <laughs> in the show notes here, but you know, that's just such great advice, you know, because people are looking to flip houses still. They're looking to build houses and they don't know where to start. And I think that the questions of, geez, who do I reach out for this? How do I build my team? People hear about stories like yours, they get nervous. And you know, I'm almost surprised you guys continued pushing forward after that experience and credit to you and your husband for just saying, all right, let's you know, wash our hands of this. Let's move on to the next one, right? I think it's been sort of innate in us to just continue to push forward. We, we knew yeah. we could do it better. And we knew that this experience was not going to be indicative of all of our experiences. And in some ways, I think we just wanted to prove it to ourselves that we can get better at this and um, it wasn't going to stop us. Uh, we had other investors who approached us after we posted pictures on Facebook of our before and after. And they were like, hey, like, how do we get involved with you guys? And so we thought, well, you know, if there's other people out there, you know, we still can do it. And, you know, we, we haven't totally said we would never go back and do it. I think now we, we know exactly who we would use our process. I mean, I have, I have it down to a science in terms of, you know, tile choices, uh, mm -hmm. carpet, paint colors, you know, all of that. I, I enjoyed the design component because I did all the design work. So that was really part of the fun is, is seeing the transformation. So then how do you take that into the Caribbean? Because that's a whole different market. I mean, like 
I wouldn't even know where to start finding contractors on some of those Caribbean islands. What what are the islands where you've been investing or that you're hot on? And you know, where does somebody go about uh, feeling confident that they're going to be entering into a profitable deal in the Caribbean? Sure. So you know, with the Caribbean, as all of us know, post COVID, the uh, travel. You know, once travel opened up. Um, the, you know, it was like the floodgates. And as soon as people could start traveling down to the Caribbean, they were. Um, you hear stories every single day, JetBlue, Frontier, and so forth. They're adding, you know, more flights to, to this location, that location, and so forth. And we didn't even have that going on pre-pandemic. So it's been pretty exciting to see what's happening down in the Caribbean. Um, and, and really, there's just a lot of tired owners uh, down there. Um, owners who were able to um, weather the storm through the pandemic and now have decided, you know what, I just don't think I want to have to worry about having to go through that again. Um, the one property in particular that we're, we are uh, uh, looking at that I sent my husband to, it's a, a, an older couple. They're Italian. They want to go back to Italy and that's where they want to live the, the remaining um years and they are, are like you know what we've, we've been through this and and you know we've we've kind of made sure that the property itself has come back post-covid and it's doing better than it was pre-covid right now um so which is very encouraging um and that's and that's really what we're looking for it are those owners who have um again weathered the storm and are waving the flag and saying you know what we're done and we mm -hmm. want to move forward so yes um now i do have a hotel that's in Panama, Central America. Um, that is, uh, I raised some capital for that particular deal, so I have equity um, in that. And that one is, I that one's more of a value add than the other one that we're looking at that is in um, Antigua. But uh, but anyways, we we raised some capital, um, slow going with the renovations. But that's where you have, um, if you're going to be doing renovations, especially in these countries where you know you don't maybe quite have those relationships that's where maybe um any of your accountants local accountants that you're using attorneys um real estate agents the brokers and so forth that's where really they come into play i know this uh one in hotel in antigua we have relied heavily on the broker for um referrals to who we can use um, who can help us with, you know, everything from uh, the pool to, you know, maybe constructing uh, more deck, deck space, uh, building a dock, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I mean, there are contractors down there. Um, getting materials is probably the biggest issue because, of course, they don't have all the materials there. It's not as easily available as it is here in the United States. Um, so planning is important, but these properties are cash flowing. People are there. The one property in Antigua had um, several several nights of 100% occupancy in, in uh, uh, January, February, March. I think the average occupancy um, was 85% in February and March. So mm -hmm. it's um, it's very exciting to see see this happening and we're excited to take over the property and see what we can do to uh, continue to improve it. The owners actually, they close the property down four months out of the year um, just because they want to go back to Italy for a period of time. And uh, mm -hmm. could you imagine if it wasn't closed for four months out of the year, how much more revenue and, and, and cash flow uh, there would be with the property? How do you go about financing these, um, these properties outside the United States? 
Well, you know, a lot of times uh, it's it's going to be a couple different ways. For instance, the deal in Panama, we have a master lease agreement with that. So with the master lease, it's five years. It allows us the opportunity to reposition the property and, and then be able to get acquainted with the, the banks and the lending institutions local to the area so that we can go in and eventually um, finance things that way. Um, with this other property in Antigua, uh, we have a seller carry. So you are we are finding a lot of seller carries, especially with uh, properties. Now, sometimes the seller carry is not going to be as significant as you might want it to be. It's not going to be maybe 75%. So you might be left raising you know 50% of the purchase price. But yeah, that's that's primarily you know what's happening with those properties. So and then and what's the marketplace to find deals like this? In terms of how to find them? Yeah. Yeah. Like how did you find this couple and how did you find this property? Sure. Facebook is a good resource. Hmm. Um, I know other investors who are already investing down in the Caribbean and they end up, you know, creating these relationships with other brokers and and then they might pass on they might pass on a deal because they have too much committed already. So they will bring deals to other Facebook groups. There's a couple of different resources. Um, actual websites that focus on Caribbean properties. And, and that's how I've met some of my potential partners is just through these websites um, and, and linking up with the webmaster who is sort of running the site. And, and that particular person knows of other investors and then they've made the introductions and connections and so forth. So yeah, it's been very, it's, it's been very interesting to see. But what I did find is that as I um, pivoted into the commercial real estate space and started connecting with people in Facebook, um, it was, it was like this snowball effect. As, as soon as I was introduced to one person, either a potential investor or a broker, um, that led to another person that I would be introduced to. And once you start letting people know what you're doing, what your interests are, um, they keep you in the back of your mind. And I get emails all the time. Hey, Beth, I remember you talking about how you love the hospitality industry. And would you be interested in something like this? And I'm shown a deal. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, again, it's the power of networking. Yeah, that's such a great lesson. I mean, Facebook actually really does connect people who are like-minded. Um, you know, I just found a contractor on Facebook, not my builder, but somebody to just clear away a pile of brush literally two days ago. No, yesterday I went up there and found him a couple days earlier. And then I found out that his wife is, uh, you know, has a cleaning business. Cause I always talk to people and I always ask the question, so tell me what else you do. Cause you never know what else they're working on. Like I, I learned that his mom has, um, some long-term rentals and a short-term rental in the town next to ours and that his wife has a cleaning business and I'll file that information away. You never know when you're going to need it. Right. right. You, know, you talk, you, you talk to somebody, especially in a market like Panama or Antigua or any remote markets, um, you know, using your broker's great advice to try to build a network of people up. In fact, worry, we actually, we tried to do that with our broker up in Guilford and um, he said he would, but then he never, we never heard back from him. So I had to go do all that myself, but um, but that's, but that's okay. You know, if you ask people, sometimes they're super willing to help and they say, oh, I know this person, this person could help with this. And then that person could help with this. Next, you know, you have your network. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about lifestyle equities. Like, you know, what else are you up to? Like, you know, you're, you're raising money for deals in the United States as well. Like what type of asset classes? 
Sure. Um, student housing primarily. So I actually handle the marketing for another group called MTN Investment Group. And we focus on value add and income producing properties. Um, and as of late, the properties that have come into our pipeline have been predominantly student housing properties. So we closed on one student housing property at the end of 2022 in December. 126 bed student housing class A property in Milledgeville, Georgia. Um, we have another one under contract class A in Murfreesboro, which is just outside of Nashville. Um, and we have a third one under contract in Athens, Georgia, University of Georgia. Um, so we, and we're looking, we're looking at one in Clemson as uh, today, as we speak, um, and another one in Northwest Arkansas. So we have one of our principals, he's actually heavily, he comes from a student housing background. He used to work for Landmark Properties, which of course is one of the largest student housing um, companies that owns and also manages uh, those types of properties. So he comes from that background and he brings all of his connections and pipeline. And that's how we've been able to, um, you know, uh, be able to take down these properties and, and, mm -hmm. and have access to them. So we're pretty excited about it. Uh, hoping to close on the one in Murfreesboro at the end of this month, the one in Athens, probably sometime in August and Northwest Arkansas, more than likely will be later this year or into next year. So can I ask about student housing? These are existing buildings, right? Correct. That you're purchasing, uh, you're doing renovations, value adds, you know, to improve, um, you know, the facilities or the amenities. And are they, um, are they like dorms, you know, where it's just a bedroom and common shared bathrooms and living facilities, or are they individual apartments? Um, you would not believe what students are living in these days. <laughs> I know, right? It is not the typical dorm that you think about back in, you know, the 80s when I went to school. So or the early 90s when I went to school, probably the same dorms that had no air conditioning or cable. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Right, right. No televisions, nothing like that. Um, the bunk beds and whatnot. But uh, mm -hmm. anyways, no, these are. Um, so for instance, the property that we closed on at the end of December in Milledgeville, they're cottage houses. So they are two-story houses, um, anywhere from four to six bedrooms. Each bedroom has its own bathroom attached to it. And then there is the common space where there's the kitchen, living room, um, it, granite uh, countertops, stainless steel appliances, these beautiful veranda porches where we're putting flat screen TVs, you know, outside hanging underneath these porches. So they're living large. They really are. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, just absolutely, you know, very spacious. Um, it, it's like living at home practically. So um, so that that's one type. Um, now this asset up in Murfreesboro, um, they have, there's four, um, four studios actually um, within a common area. And in each studio, um, is is the bed the like the bed the closet? Um, it's got a small kitchenette. Um, you have your own bathroom, and then in the main space is another like a full kitchen. Um, let's see, there's a dining room, living space, and then washer and dryer. So hmm. again, beautiful, beautiful properties, and these are all class A properties. So we don't actually have to go in and do you know, too much in terms of value add. So the business plan is generally to push rents because 
you know, some of these properties are coming from the developer themselves and developers tend to develop, lease up, hold on, and then they sell it. So they're never pushing rents because they want to, they want to essentially sell when there's 100% occupancy, which bodes weather, better for them from um, in terms of a purchase price. So, or a sale price, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. And and so from, from that standpoint, um, you know, we take these assets on and we have to do very, very little to them other than push rents, uh, manage the property, um, improve efficiencies, and, um, and, you know, they're cash flowing from day one. So our investors absolutely love receiving a distribution um, within one to two quarters after we've um, secured the asset. Yeah. And these are not connected directly to any of the universities, right? It's all privately right. held, right? So right. If, you're, if, if you're signing a lease with a student, it's not going through student housing or anything like that. It's a separate deal. No, and that, we're, actually, we're actually signing the lease with the parents. Yeah. So the parents are the ones that, um, you know, it's going to be their credit uh, if something goes wrong. It's going to be their credit card if something goes wrong. We'll swipe that. Um, and their 12-month leases. So regardless of whether or not they're there for the summer, they're paying for, you know, an entire year. Rory, these are like two new strategies we haven't even talked about on this podcast yet. And, you know, just when you think 117 episodes in or whatever number this is, we've talked about everything. We certainly have not. Well, yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's striking to me that in a relatively short period of time, you've we've evolved from um, kind of this the single family uh, flip into now purchasing uh, hotel properties um, outside of the country and large student housing complexes within the country. That's a really rapid evolution within the real estate space. I think so, but you know what? I just I just put my nose to the ground and went to work. Uh, yeah, I was I was just determined to to you know do this 180 and and kind of flip it around so to speak um from our experience with the single family fix and flips so making up for lost time i guess yeah that that is fascinating i mean you know you also alluded to the fact that you went to college in the 80s you volunteered that information so i could imagine you're just a couple years older than me and you probably started down this journey what like six years ago in the real estate world so you know another lesson here you know, for all you 40 and 50 somethings listening to this podcast, you are never too old to start down this pathway, right? In fact, the, I think, Beth, the wisdom that we have with the work that we've all done, you've an entrepreneur, I worked in business for over 25 years, you know, I think that we could take that to this type of this type of work, you know, screw the limiting beliefs and say, hey, you know, what's the direction where we want to go with uh, our real estate investing? Yeah, I, I, I had never thought I'm, I'm too old to be doing anything. I mean, maybe yeah. some things, right? But uh, but no, I mean, just really like this. I mean, why not? I, right. I am a firm believer that, you know, the more you stay busy, the more you educate yourself, the more you're learning, you know, it keeps your mind fresh. Um, it keeps it keeps you just youthful overall, mind, body mm-hmm. and soul. So um, so that's Again, I, if I had to pivot again for whatever reason, I would do so. I'm not, though. I'm here to stay, and right, this is right. where I want to be. Um, but if, if for whatever reason, and the universe said, hey, Beth, you need to be doing something different, I, I would welcome it and say, okay, what do I need to do to make it happen? You, you could always continue what you're doing right now, building beautiful backyards that people could spend time in, right? 
This is great. This is a great discussion. I want to get to the final couple of questions that we ask all of our guests just to get to know you a little bit better and to tie up uh, the loose ends of the interview. And then we can uh, find out exactly where people can reach out to you if they want to learn more about any of the things we talked about, if they want to invest with you, if they want to join your community. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. And of course, we'll link all that stuff up in the show notes. So first question we have, uh, if you can get on stage, Beth, and talk about any specific subject in the world for half an hour with no preparation. What would that be? I could talk about powerlifting for a half hour with no preparation. I saw that on your Instagram. <laughs> what's what's happening there? Sure. Um, so about five years ago, um, I decided that from a, a physical and mental standpoint, I needed a challenge. And I had just closed down my fitness studio um, where we predominantly taught group fitness classes. But I personally wanted a challenge. And it was either going to be uh, bodybuilding or powerlifting. I wasn't sure which one. And after doing research on both, I opted for powerlifting because I liked the, I liked that it was more objective. You either lift the weight or you don't. Whereas with bodybuilding, it tends to be a bit more subjective. Um, you know, you have four or five gals who are on stage in a bikini with their spray tans and they've worked their tails off. Um, and judges decide on their muscularity. And I'm thinking to myself, why would I want to put myself through that? So anyways, I opted for powerlifting and enlisted the help of a coach who told me that I had some deficiencies and I could not compete for at least a year until I improved on those deficiencies. So we worked on that for a year. Um, and then about, uh, let's see, I think it was about a year and a half after I had been training with him, I was allowed to compete in my first uh, powerlifting meet, which I did, and just became completely addicted. And from there, I started uh, to do more regional meets, and eventually I competed uh, nationally. So I hold both um, national and state records for my age and weight class. Oh, my God. Rory, what are we doing? <laughs> nah, not that. I feel like when I when we when we hit the red button on this interview, I have to go lift some weights or something. That's fantastic. That's great. And yeah, you're right. You know what? You're you're showing that you're you you know we're all getting older, but I don't feel like I'm old either, right? You know, I think that it's tough for younger people to see people like our age as young. But I see myself as 16 years old, you know, still that kid that went to college, right? I'm sure you kind of see yourself in that as well, because we've lived that life. Right. And you're never too old to take up something like powerlifting or raising capital or, you know, that's, a, that's such a great, it's such a great lesson. Second of these questions, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Um, probably watching my dad work. Um, my dad was a small business owner. Uh, he co-owned a shoe store, uh, Genuzi Shoes, in Northeast Ohio with my uncle. Um, it was passed down. My grandfather started it after he came over from Italy. And uh, just watching my dad's work ethic uh, was, was really what instilled me to, uh, to follow in his footsteps. Um, he was hoping that I would become an accountant. But I, I was like, Dad, I just don't think that that's for me. I would rather be a small business owner and, and, and do what you did. Um, and so he's been my inspiration. And I think that's why I always work as hard as I do. Uh, maybe I'm still trying to prove something to him. I don't know. Maybe I, he's, he's up in heaven right now uh, looking down on me. And uh, hopefully he's smiling with, with everything that we've done and, and all the successes that we've had. I'm sure he is. Did he come over from Italy or was he born in the U.S.? He was born in the U.S. Okay. 
Final question we have, tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. I am listening to, I am listening to, it's, it's on YouTube. I know it's a book, but I found it on YouTube, the recording and so forth. It's called Prosperity by Russell, is it Russell Wilson? No, that doesn't sound right. He's um, a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Prosperity, let's look it up. P-R-O. I can look it up here. Let's see. Here. I'm just going to look up Prosperity Russell and the, the magic of YouTube tells me that it's, I don't know. Dr. Robert oh. Russell. That's what Dr. it is. Robert Dr. Russell, Robert putting Russell. the prosperity idea to work. Yeah, prosperity. Okay. You too can be prosperous. So um, I am listening to that right now. And I have been listening to it since November. So it's only, it's like two and a half, three hours long. I re-listen to it like once a month just to continually keep my mind going down the path that um, that I want it to go. Um, yeah. And it, it just really talks you know, I, the, the bottom line is, you know, what we think is what we become. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that is just a life lesson for, for anybody. Um, so getting the cobwebs out, you know, trying not to focus on the negative, but focusing on the positive. And I think when you do so, you see all of the abundance that is around you. Absolutely. Well, soon you'll be able to recite that book if you keep listening to it over and over. <laughs> yeah, and Beth, uh, where can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about you or Lifestyle Equities? Sure. They can email me at uh, Beth at lifestyleequitiesgroup.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Investing with Beth. I'm on TikTok at Investing with Beth. Um, You can always phone or text me 513-470-1078. And I'm pretty responsive via text message. Uh, You can also friend request me, uh, the Beth Underhill on Facebook. So... And if you go to lifestyleequitiesgroup.com, you can see some of the portfolio that you're working on right now, just like I'm looking at it. So. Yep. Um, Rory, where can people reach out to you? Uh, people can find me through my real estate brokerage. That's Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletown.com, or through my law practice, Urban Village Legal. That's urbanvillagelegal.com. All right. And if you want to be a guest on the podcast or have questions for Beth or me or Rory, you could reach out to me. Jason at nexthometitletown.com. Uh, we love reviews of the podcast. We love comments and we really appreciate your listening. Beth, or watching. You might be watching this. Beth, thank you very much for all of your insight, uh, for taking us on a journey of how you've gotten to where you are today, talking about asset classes that we have not discussed yet on this podcast, overcoming some adversity, really digging into what to do when a situation's going bad. And, and how to move beyond that. So, so many great lessons that you've, uh, you've taught me and I'm sure Rory in our audience as well. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for yeah. having me. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back and tell Angie we said hi. And um, hey, who knows? Maybe we'll be one of your investors at one point. There you go. I'd love that. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Rory. And thank you for listening or watching. We'll see you next time. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
Thank you for listening. 